I was worried it was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale. <laughs> wow! where we discuss two movies with the same source material. Today we will be talking about Casino Royale, originally written by Ian Fleming and turned into two separate movies. I'm Claire. I'm David. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. David, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting, I think, uh, discussion because these movies probably more than any two movies that we could have picked that are based on the same book are quite different. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. And I certainly have my thoughts about which I enjoy. Yeah, uh, incredibly different. Uh, fun in comparison to, like, we have watched Emma, which is also written, I mean, based off of a book, and the two movies lifted so much dialogue from the books. Yeah, it, like... As much as I found enough different to have strong feelings as to which was better or worse, it's almost harder to compare with how different they are. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be hard to find similarities and even uh, you know ideas that are the same. But we're going to do our best to take a look at them objectively, fairly, and uh, you know without without bias. Anyway, we can we can just get into it. Background on the. Daniel Craig movie that you're probably most familiar with. This is an Eon production, which means it's part of the main James Bond series that includes, you know, From Russia With Love, Dr. No, Goldfinger, through the Roger Moore movies, the Pierce Brosnan movies, and now the Daniel Craig movies and whoever comes after Daniel Craig. Um, which we will get into. Yeah, these are the official James Bond movies, so this is a reboot, essentially, of the franchise. And even though they, he's the sixth actor to play Bond in the Eon Productions, this is probably the hardest reboot that they've ever done. So it's a little bit of an origin story. Not necessarily a prequel, but uh, certainly a little bit different. Yeah, because we literally start with him getting his getting double, his double status. Getting double yeah. Great um, intro. Yeah, so let me just run through uh, a little bit about the movie. Um, it's directed by Martin Campbell, who directed Goldeneye, which is probably one of the best Bond movies, certainly the best Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. Uh, he also directed a couple action movies, The Mask of Zorro and, and things like that. Um, pretty successful in what he does. And they, they got him to reboot the franchise. They obviously hired Daniel Craig as the new Bond controversial decision at the time but I think uh, most people would say that it panned out and the movie essentially as Claire said is him getting his double O his license to kill and going on his first mission so in the beginning of the movie he follows an investigation uh, trail of breadcrumbs that leads him to a man known as the Shifra who is financing Global terrorists and other violent groups. Um, oh, he's investing their money. He's, he's investing their money, and then that money goes right. Right. He's he's acting as their banker essentially. But his his methods of investment are he will take the money and then 
put a bet against a certain company that he knows is going to do poorly because then he's also hiring terrorists to like blow up their buildings right. or their planes or, their or whatever. Planes, yeah. um, so it's quite a scheme that he's got. Bond follows his trail and eventually assigns him to work with a woman from the British Treasury to beat Le Chiffre at uh, a game of poker in Montenegro. In addition to Daniel Craig, the movie star is Eva Green as Vesper Lind. She's the woman from the treasury. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is Le Chiffre. Uh, he sort of became famous for playing bad guys after this, but this is sort of... Uh, I think it's probably his most famous role, or at least his, his earliest uh, such role. M is played once again by Judy Dench, even though it's a reboot. I think they said something like, how could we not have... And how could they not? Yeah. She's great. They basically were just like, there's one role we're not going to recast, yeah. and it's it's Judy Dench. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much who the stars of the movie are. Jeffrey Wright plays Felix Leiter. He's a CIA agent that works with Bond. He comes back in the later movies as well. Um, but really, the movie just follows Bond on this single mission. It's his first mission as a double O, and, uh, and it's, that's, the whole, that's the whole ride. And we should say both of these movies are based on a book by Ian Fleming, the first Bond novel uh, written by the creator of Bond, and I believe 1952, is Casino Royale. And the reason there's a couple different versions of this, there's also a TV version that we're not going to get into and I haven't even seen. Uh, it's because it was the first book, I think the rights are, they were kind of tied up in a weird way that Ian Fleming, like later he sold the rights to every other Bond movie or almost every other Bond movie um, to one production studio. And Casino Royale, Eon and MGM didn't get the rights to that until much, much later when they made the Daniel Craig version. But... If you're anything like me, when David says Eon Productions, you can associate that with the broccoli name that shows up at the end of every title sequence. Just think it's a great yeah. surname, and it's what lets me know I'm it's, in um, it for a bond movie. Cubby Broccoli and his daughter Barbara, is that right? I think those are the Broccolis, but yes, they are, they are the producers of the mainline Bond franchise. Okay, so the 1967 version of Casino Royale had the tagline, Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. Keeping that in mind, there are meant to be seven, I think, different James Bonds in this movie. Uh, so David Niven plays Sir James Bond, the original James Bond who's now in retirement. He's upset that there is a new 007 who is also going by James Bond in MI6, and apparently that person is the womanizer who's been, you know, just making a bungle of all these missions. Yes, it's implied without directly saying so, because I don't think they could for rights purposes, but it's implied that uh, the movies that we're more familiar with, and that is the person who took his name, who's been basically besmirching his name for the last decade. Yeah, we find out later that... That James Bond has now left the spy agency and has gone into acting, so I think it's fair to say that that is Sean Connery. Yeah. <laughs> um, Alright, so, but we've got a lot more James Bonds to get through, so we've got uh, Vesper Lynn also goes by James Bond at some points in this movie, and she is played by Ursula Andress. We also have Miss Moneypenny, who also goes by James Bond at some points in this uh, movie. 
she's played by Barbara Boucher. Then we have um, our final female James Bond, who is Mata Bond. Uh, she is, in this movie, Bond's daughter, born of his love affair with Mata Hari, and she is played with Joanna Patet. Then we also have Peter Sellers, playing probably the most significant other James Bond, aside from the original, who is a man who had created this basically cheat code, like he's a master at Baccarat, which comes into play in the plot of Casino Royale. Um, amazingly, in this movie, that barely holds on to the plot of Casino Royale. And then there are some other... Um, oh, there's another female. Dahlia Lobby is another James Bond, and then we also have... Terrence Cooper as a James Bond, and then we also have Woody Allen as a James Bond, technically Jimmy Bond, who is Sir James Bond's nephew. Now, Inexplicably American, strong yes. New York accent, James Bond. Yeah. So I know there was a lot of James Bonds to go through. Uh, not many of them are super important, uh, but we'll come back to them as we yeah. go through it. Yeah, well, if that seems like it's confusing, the movie... <laughs> is a whole jump mess and you know we'll get into maybe the reasons why that is and also the way it manifests uh, but I did want to note one thing Ursula Andress you probably recognize that name I think her most famous role by far is uh, in Dr. No she plays Honey Rider she has the famous scene where she comes out of the ocean in the bikini what are you doing here looking for shells no I'm just looking. And then she becomes essentially the first Bond girl. Mm -hmm. And probably the one that everybody, you know, uses as the standard. Everybody uh, that gets cast is kind of held up to her um, by comparison. So I think that gives the movie maybe like a little bit of legitimacy. You know, I'm not sure if they cast her as a gimmick or or what was going on there. We won't be referring to all those characters as James Bond, as we're discussing. When it comes down to it, David Niven is Sir James Bond, Woody Allen is Jimmy Bond, and Joanna Pettet is Matt Bond. All the others, they have their own specific names. So, yeah. The villain of the movie, I mean, it's technically Woody Allen, but the, uh, the intimidating presence is provided by Orson Welles, who plays Le Chief. Yeah. So those are the key characters for this James Bond. And if we haven't mentioned it, we should be clear, this is a farce of a movie. Like, it is a deliberate farce. Yes. Um, that's why there are so many James Bonds. That's it's why... It's a when, highly anticipated parody movie. When, At the time, highly anticipated. And when we talk about the plot, it's, not, it's just not going to make a lot of sense. And I think... Well, let me see what I can do. I'll try to run through it real quick. So... We've got M, the leader of MI6, along with the leader of the KGB, leader of the CIA, and I want to say the leader of some French spy agency, all show up at Bond's residence him. saying that they need his help. Bond says no, but then everybody gets blown up, which leaves Bond to decide to go to M's estate in order to mourn him, and this just sets things in motion for Bond to eventually have to confront the chief, even though at the beginning of the movie he had said no, he would not. Uh, so Bond goes to M's estate, where there are tons of women who are all trying to seduce him, and it turns out they're all actually spies for the same agency that the chief is part of, which is called Smirsh, which I think is totally made up for this movie because that is a ridiculous name. No, that's an acronym that's an from... actually from Ian Fleming's books. Yeah, so Smirsh is... Uh... 
Uh, I think it's a real organization. Um, it's uh, part of the NKVD that was active during World War II. So I think to Ian Fleming, this is a real thing. And by the time he wrote these books and by the time these movies came out, it was long defunct. But a couple of the movies mentioned Smirsh and, and this movie takes it seriously in its own way. So James Bond is at M's estate, and all of these people are trying to seduce him, but he is resisting the temptation, and finally, for some reason, he has to participate in some sort of feats of strength, which he wins handedly and comically, uh, which really impresses Deborah Kerr's character, Agent Mimi, who decides to defect because she is now in love with James Bond, which gets him out of that scenario because she helps him use suspenders in order to ricochet the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the tracker back at the other people. Just an idea of the sort of comedy that is in this movie. Uh, James Bond continues on. He's now the head of MI6 because M has been killed. And that is when James Bond decides that every agent for MI6 will now be named James Bond, thus providing the many James Bonds of this movie. Of all the ones that they recruit, the only one that matters is Evelyn Tremble, played by Peter Sellers. Uh, so we will refer to him as Tremble, even though as an agent he is James Bond. And Tremble is the person who has mastered Baccarat. And he is Baccarat? Baccarat. Yeah, it's French, so what I'll say Baccarat. <laughs> okay, so he is hired by Ursula Andress's Vesper Lind. Uh, and so his role is actually to go up against Le Chief in a game of Baccarat, which he ends up winning because he realizes that Le Chief has been cheating. And at that point is where I would say the movie really manages to both become more in line with the Casino Royale plot and go off the rails entirely. Yeah, there's about a ten minute period where it is Casino Royale. Mm -hmm. They're in the casino, Bond is there, he's playing Le Chief and Baccarat, and then following that he, uh, he notices that well, like once he wins the once he wins the hand, uh, the chief kidnaps Vesper. Bond follows. Bond gets kidnapped. Bond gets tortured, and essentially rescued by Smersh when they come in and kill the chief. Wait, but Bond doesn't get captured. That was well. Evelyn that was Tremble. Tremble. Yes. yes, that Bond. That that Bond of the many Bonds. Yes, and then all of a sudden, everybody's getting kidnapped. So Tremble, yes, was kidnapped along with Vesper. But even though they are rescued vesper decides to shoot him which is because peter sellers just stopped showing up to work but we'll talk about that later and uh then other people get kidnapped Mata bond bond's uh daughter gets kidnapped and this that's is what... this is exactly when i stopped being able to follow the movie is they just became nonsense no, this in the is last... the, the final act yeah she's kidnapped so all of the bonds all of the other bonds go into you know the final Lair of the villains because Le Chief also is just killed offhand by Smirsch. And when all the bonds descend upon the lair, that's when we find out that it was Woody Allen all along. Uh, Sir James Bond can't believe it because it's his nephew. And then uh, that proceeds to just devolve into utter chaos like, literally, actually, utter chaos. They just throw anything into Casino Royale at that point. You've got cowboys. You've got Indians. You've got random cameos from famous people at the time. Everyone's in this casino, and the whole time, uh, <laughs> Woody Allen is burping because he's taken some sort of atomic bomb pill, 
and every burp is a countdown to the atomic bomb inside of him going off. And then his final burp happens, and all the cowboys, Indians, all the James Bonds, they all blow up, and the movie is over. Well, the motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and exhibited tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? Yeah. Uh, how many writers did you say were on this movie? Oh, gosh. So the original writer rewrote the script three times. Then it was given to Joseph Heller. Then it was given to someone else who rewrote it. But then they brought back the original writer. And then plus Woody Allen and, and, and some And Peter other Sellers people, hired his own guy. Which is great. Peter Sellers hired somebody just to make sure that his lines sounded cooler and, than Orson Welles. And how many directors did this movie have? Uh, five. Five directors. And it's not like, you know, one of them was directing a specialty part. It's like literally split right. five ways. It's not, it's not one director and then assistant directors, mm -hmm. like unit directors or anything. Which it's... is why it felt like we were watching one movie when James Bond was in Scotland and trying right. to be seduced by all these women. Yes. And then that's after that's over... I thought the movie over, would be about for a few <laughs> minutes. over, there's an entirely different tone uh, and then in the last, there's two sort of specific parts at the end that just go off the rails. One of them is, uh, I guess, mostly from the point of view of Mata Bond, where she's uh, stealing some compromising photos that Le Chief is selling to people well, in she order goes, to use his blackmail. She goes to spy school for like a 25-minute interlude. No, but the spy school that she goes to is actually a mission to get this stuff from Le Chief. Right, but it's a whole, like, it's like a like a seventh of the movie is her in this spy school and she's sort of like running around there's like weird characters that are only in this part of the movie and she's running around this like mansion in berlin that's like kind of this german expressionist like everything oh, is totally angled like strangely cubist, yeah um you know it's it's uh it's very like it's, it's probably the only part of the movie that, that looks like that or that, like, bothers the yeah, look. Yeah, it's visually entirely different. But you yeah. know what it did remind me of? The Bond movie where they're on the submarine and everything is tilted? The Bond movie where they're on the submarine and everything yeah, is tilted. Yeah, M's office is in the sub, oh, but it's also it's, um, diagonal. It's a ship that sank in uh, in Hong Kong in the harbor. Yeah, which movie is that? That's uh, uh, A Man with the Golden Gun. Okay. And I like Man with the Golden Gun, which I think is a good comedy bond. And this, well, it's at funny. times, felt like a comedy bond because it just couldn't figure out what comedy it was. Yeah, doing. exactly. There were like there were parts of this movie that that felt like it was almost presaging what would happen with particular, I think, Robert Roger Moore. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually wondering at one point if. Because, you know, I can't keep dates straight in my head if this was after Roger Moore's movies. And that was meant to be, this is the part of the movie where we're parodying, you know, Man with the Golden Gun and all those. Yeah. It didn't, so it reminded me of a different part of the Man with the Golden Gun. But you know oh, yeah? how they go to Scaramanga's funhouse? Mm-hmm. And he's got, he's got like different uh, areas of the funhouse. So there's like, I think a Chicagoland gangster thing and like a yeah. Western thing. But they're all, like, it's all, like, very funhouse mirror kind of thing. Um, it reminded me a lot of that, which, obviously, yeah, to your point, it came out after Casino Royale. And in that sense, I think, like, it did sort of see the silliness of Bond and, like, the inevitable uh, fall into 
total absurdity that some of the Bond movies, especially during the Roger Moore era, yeah. um, fell into. So, uh, yeah. And I think it was interesting to note uh, when I was reading about how was this movie made, <laughs> and then you start to uncover things like five directors and multiple writers. But like the first uh, person to own the rights to this movie literally thought that Bond was too unbelievable to exist. In which case, it's like, why are you buying the rights to this yeah, in the first place? Yeah, it's a bad purchase. Yeah, so I think there were a lot of competing ideas about what Bond is and what parts of Bond deserve to be parodied and what a parody itself is. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned earlier that Peter Sellers' character, Tremble, the master Baccarat player, just gets killed literally as he gets rescued. Vesper Lind has shown up in the torture chamber and she shoots all of the enemies around him in a very comedic scene because she's got this machine gun just going everywhere. Camera pans out and there's dead bodies everywhere, but miraculously Peter Sellers hasn't been shot, right? And then just cuts back to Vesper Lind, Ursula Andress's character, and she goes, never trust a rich spy. And she shoots again. And there, with some clever camera work, you now believe visually you're seeing he's among the dead. Because he just never showed up. And that's why he's not in the rest of the movie. And I think for a comedy actor who is doing a really good job at his role in this absurd movie, like, I think the absurdity of it all got to him. I think it's also worth noting, I mean, I don't know much about him, but I think he was a complicated guy. Um, certainly not... Well, let's just say, you know, he would hit people on set, you know. You can say it's a different era or whatever. Yeah. Oh, wow. I um, and it's interesting because when I was reading the Wikipedia for Casino Royale, it said that he was so intimidated by Orson Welles that he didn't want to be in scenes with him. And I was like, that's so weird that, like, that's the reason he didn't want to be it, that they would use the word intimidated. But if you go to his, uh, if you then go to Peter Sellers' Wikipedia page, that's like one of the first things it says is that he struggled with, you know, intimidation and lack of, well, like... Well, if, if you're going around hitting people and there's, like, this massive dude on set that... That is a great actor who doesn't think you're a good actor, yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, I can't hit this guy and mm -hmm. he's just going to shit talk me. So, yeah, if you're an asshole that's hitting people, then... That's the kind of person that, that's exactly the kind of person that would intimidate you. He's just a highly strong, anxious guy living in a totally different era of history, too, which yeah. I'm sure affected plenty of these. Be that as it may, I mean, I think he was probably the best part of the movie. He was great. I also really liked David Niven. Yeah, I did too. And actually. Like, I, as David said, I thought it was a different movie when we watched the first fifth by that director wow. yeah. and it's like this isn't my favorite movie but okay like I like this David Niven guy and David Niven David Niven was Ian Fleming's like vision of Bond he wanted David he, he based his looks off of David Niven oh, really? and he said if there's ever a movie or a TV show or whatever I want David Niven to do it I, I think it was known at the time that that was uh, sort of that was always meant to be Bond and I think David Niven does a great job of playing like an older... He's older by this time because it's 15 years after Ian Fleming wrote his first book. Um, but I, I think he does a great job of, of that role. And even though like it is very silly, he's he's got this idea of like, well, I'm the real James Bond. And in my day, like spies were like monks. We were knights, you know, and 
chastity was important and you know being upright Mm -hmm. in every in every way is important that's very silly but he still has that like panache and that charm that James Vaughn needs to have even though half of his storyline is trying to avoid having sex with all these beautiful (laughs) women that are trying to have sex with him yes well I think so in that sense it's weird because like I wish Ian Fleming was alive Ian Fleming died a few years before this and he wasn't alive to see this movie which I think in one sense is a good thing because it's a terrible movie but in another sense, it's like he wanted to see David Niven as Bond, and I think yeah. he would have enjoyed that part of it. I did. That's a fun fact, but I did not know that. And I think David Niven did great. A very. I think he understood the silliness of the movie, though. Too. He did a lot of very physical comedy. Yeah, I he felt. was great. I've never seen him in anything else, yeah. and he. I, maybe one other thing, but he was really good. He also he starts the movie with a um, with a stutter. And, and that goes nowhere. And then when he becomes head of MI6, he sits down. It's you, he, it's his first scene with Money Penny. I loved the Money Penny in this movie. And he goes, Money Penny, have I stuttered since I came in here? And she goes, No, sir. And he says, Good. I don't have time for that now. And he doesn't and he stutter did, for fine. the rest of the movie. Yeah. Which I mean, you know, I don't know if if you have a stutter, if you would not appreciate it being used for comedic effect. But I thought that was a pretty funny line. Yeah, it's just silly that it was. Yeah, it's all very silly. Everything about this is silly. Oh, but then sometimes it just goes, like... Like, at one point, a flying saucer descends on London to abduct Mata Mata Bond. And it's like, there's those moments where it's like, is this comedy? Yeah, well, it felt very, um, like, Monty Python. It did, the the flying saucer? Well, that in particular, there Mm -hmm. were a couple things. That, um... And at the end, Claire mentioned, like, the Cowboys and Indians thing, and then they say, like, call the police, and it goes back to, like, uh, like a Keystone <laughs> Cops, like, black and white thing. Yeah. And and it's just, like, it's so silly, and it's very, like, Mel Brooks, very Monty Python, that era of, uh-huh. like, we're just gonna be, like, absurd, which I don't really think is very funny. I thought it was hilarious. The first part is, the Americans are finally here, and it cuts yeah. to a bunch of Cowboys, a bunch of cowboys in the old west, the old west when they're in, and then you know. cut to them coming through the doors of Casino Royale. Yeah. Oh God, so funny. I think it's so interesting to me that you don't find that funny because no, I hate you that love shit. the bit in um, what's the movie? Disney's animated Robin Hood, where everything devolves into chaos after the the shooting competition. But I like things to like make sense in their own world. I don't like it just to devolve into absurdity for. For like no reason. I mean, I think. You know what I mean? Okay, so and let's... There, there's a scene in Life of Brian, Monty Python, um, mm-hmm. where Brian jumps off a roof, and the only reason he survives is because he's abducted by aliens. And then there's like a one minute alien scene, and then that's it. And I, I just like I hate that shit. Or like in Blazing Saddles, it'll or any Mel Brooks movie mm-hmm. except for the the one that makes sense, the producers. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. um, but every other Mel Brooks movie is just like let's just have a bunch of absurd shit and sometimes it can be funny but like I don't like it if the world doesn't make sense and I think it's weird because most of this movie the world made sense and then at the end maybe it was they had their fifth director and he was like fuck it I, I don't care mm-hmm. no, so I they think just the, did whatever they wanted uh, I would love to hear from that director you know what what was he thinking well i have no idea what order this movie was filmed in you know yeah and it seems like presumably the end was shot last since peter sellers isn't in it 
it must have been shot after he, he decided quit. to stop showing up. Yeah. But he's also not in the <laughs> beginning of the movie, so. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. I just thought it was such a funny way to end the movie. And for me, it worked to devolve into chaos because, I mean, this movie, we should say, had a very big budget, like $6 million at first, and then overspent and overran and ended up spending $12 million, which at the time was an absurd amount of money. It was almost twice as much as the Bond movies, the actual Bond movies that preceded and followed it. So you got money just being thrown everywhere, and the movie runtime being over two hours. Yeah, it's like so, two hours, 20 minutes or something. At Crazy. At the time we got to all the chaos in Casino Royale, I was like, there's no point to this movie. The only thing you can give me now is chaos and then yeah. blow it all up. No, in a sense, I, I totally get that. Like, that it's like we went nowhere for the last two hours. We might as well just say, yes, we wasted your time. That, that's, <laughs> yes. that's basically what it did. But I don't find that amusing. You know, I, I, I was annoyed it. that it wasted my time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not a great comedy, but well, certainly did, not a comedy for everybody. <laughs> what did you think, like, it's hard not to think about Austin Powers when you see this yes. movie. Like, what did you think of, like, the contrast between those two things? Because I've seen the Austin Powers movie many times. Oh, have you? Okay, yeah. so I was not allowed to growing up, mm. so I've seen it maybe once. Okay. Um, And I'm sure it's terrible, but probably not worse than this movie like i think uh in austin powers the joke is kind of like we froze this person in time in the 60s and right, 60s I just remember him peeing a lot when he got right out. well that is a very silly joke but the the meta joke is like well if we actually froze someone in the 60s and put them into the 90s it would be like this person is terrible and i think that's kind of like a joke about right what James Bond is. Mm -hmm. But it's weird because it already came out after GoldenEye, which addressed that directly. GoldenEye had this, the scene where M calls Bond... Texas misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. All that stuff. So it's kind of like already an outdated critique. And I think that Casino Royale, as a parody or a critique of James Bond, makes a little bit more sense because there's only a few movies that have come out and they're already starting to see, like, the absurdity of this movie. Like, the, the scene where all these women are throwing themselves at James Bond for no reason. You know, yeah. and it's just, it's just like every woman is sexier than the last one. And they oh, have... That is true. They have uh, <laughs> Miss Good Thighs, you know. Yes. And again... Which I think is literally ripped from... Uh... What's the movie called? Gold... Goldfinger? Goldfinger. Oh well, my Goldfinger, god. I definitely wanted to call it Goldmember because we were talking well, about Well, Goldfinger about. has Pussy Galore. Yes, right? but his response to hearing Pussy Galore's name, I think they gave uh, Tremble the same line when Good Thighs introduces oh, herself. Oh, did they? I yeah. didn't notice. What did he say? Like, the same thing. Like, uh, yes, you are, you know, or like, I can see that. What does he say? Yes. Yeah, I guess he says, I can see that. Yeah. I think Bond responding to... I'm going to get this wrong because this is off the top of my head. But responding to Pussy Galore, I think she says, My name is Pussy Galore. And he says, I must be dreaming. My name is Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I, oh okay. But it's very similar. I thought it was the same but like, then word for word. In, uh, in the Roger Moore movies, they have Merry Goodnight, 
Mm-hmm. In again, the man with the golden gun. Yes, which is I love that movie. I love that. But movie. that is like a very silly movie. Mm-hmm. And then they have, um, I think there's a woman called Goodhead. In yes, Moonraker. there is. Isn't there? Yes. I haven't seen that movie so much, but Good Thighs almost seems like they didn't go far <laughs> enough, you <laughs> right? know, compared exactly. to those three things. Yeah. Uh, Good Thighs is played by Jacqueline Biss- Bissett. I oh yeah, she was really sexy. Credit her since we're talking about her. Character. Well, yeah, she was in one scene, and she, where was, she was trying to seduce Bond, and she was great, yeah. and uh, and yes, but yeah, I mean, like. I think that it did understand parts of the, the parts of the movie that addressed this did understand what was silly about Bond, mm-hmm. you know, and at a point where Bond wasn't being self-aware yet. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And then, like two years later, we have well, not two years later, but four years later, I think we have the man with the golden gun, um, and Bond is just totally self-aware. Like Roger Moore knows what's going on, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I think it's, it is interesting in a sense that it saw where Bond was going and I think it got in there at the right time. And I think it would have been interesting to see it in that moment. Only five years after Dr. No came out, I think they really nailed what was very silly about Bond. But I think at the time, people hated this movie. Oh yeah, I I hate this movie. (laughs) I I really hated this movie. I hated, it wasted all of my time. I think it was one of those... Examples of a highly anticipated movie that just really disappoints, which I think, well, just in response to what you were saying, I think it's better to watch it now, especially being able to watch Daniel Craig's Bond first so you know what Casino Royale is and then get to watch this older version. I think I'm I'm very happy to have done it that way because as soon as the Casino Royale plot started, I was like, oh, the movie, <laughs> like this right. is the, the story. The ten minutes that it does the movie, yeah. it it does do that. I, I guess if you haven't seen Austin Powers, you wouldn't probably remember, but the main song from Casino Royale, uh, the 1967 version, mm-hmm. is Burt Bacharach, uh, "The Look of Love." Yes, uh, and- sung by Dusty Springfield. But in Austin Powers, he's like a big Burt Bacharach fan. Oh, yeah? He, at one point, that song plays while he's like... It's either like while he's watching a lot of vagina have a bath or some other (laughs) sexy scene. I've got to watch Austin Powers. No, it's, it's also not good. I think like it was outdated at the time it came out and I... Yeah. I think it's like funny in a in a very silly way, but like it doesn't skewer Bond in the way that I think it, it's really trying to. Yes. And uh just uh Bacharach I'm saying his name wrong now too, aren't I? I know, it's hard to talk about Bacharach and Burt Bacharach. <laughs> yeah. I don't now I'm just like I'm totally confused. The guy who did the music. Anyhow, yes. he did a stellar job and the music for this movie that people did not like, the music is very well respected and mm-hmm. I find the credit song to be hilarious. So Alright, why don't we talk about uh Casino Royale two thousand six, the Daniel Craig version, directed by Martin Campbell, the one that we think you're probably more familiar with. I mean, I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies. I love Bond. I love Daniel Craig as Bond. You know, before I had seen this movie, I never would have thought, oh, this new guy is going to become my favorite Bond. But he he absolutely is, even though I don't love any of the other movies he did as much as this movie. Vesper Lind, played by Eva Green, 
best Bond girl in the whole series. Oh, okay. Again, like, compared to Ursula Andress and uh, Honey Rider, compared to Tatiana Romanova, or who else? Is, uh, who's the best Nobody's Bond girl? Nobody's beating Pussy Tiffany Galore, Case, David. Tiffany Case. I think, for me, Pussy Galore stands above the... I mean, seriously, obviously, Tiffany's yeah. my favorite, but Pussy Galore beats out Honey Rider, in my mind, of the, the hierarchy of Bonds. And they both come in above Vesper. Sorry, David. That's- that's crazy. I mean, but whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, Eva Green, I think the look, the story, everything about her just works in this movie. And actually, I think I was... I I, I don't know. I don't even want to say how many times I've seen this movie. But I was struck on this viewing at how the story really only begins when she sits down across from him on the train. I'm the money. Yes. Like... It's it's kind of a weird movie. Like, it's weird. Like, it shouldn't work as well as it does, but it totally does. Because, you know, we were describing the plot earlier, um, and Bond is on this trail of... Uh, he follows a bomber, and then that bomber leads to a guy in uh, the Bahamas. He follows that guy to Miami and then that guy leads him to another guy who's going to blow up this plane mm-hmm. and that is part of the plot that the chief has enacted to he's short selling the stock of the airline and then the plane's going to blow up because he's short selling he's going to make a ton of money for his clients and then he's going to pay them out and he's also going to get wealthy in the process yes but because that doesn't work his only backup plan is i'm going to win at poker he's also That's really how I'll good save at poker their money. <laughs> which like it's not it's not Baccarat, like and that kind of annoyed me at the time because I was a huge Bond fan as a teenager. I was you, so You should specify the Bond books. Well, both. I was mm-hmm. so excited that they were finally doing Casino Royale mm-hmm. because that's the first book. It's probably the best book or one of the one of the top books. It it's got the the most emotional resonance because of the the storyline with Vesper. I loved it as a kid and as like a teenager and I was like 17 when this, I'm not 17, 15 when this movie came out. Well, yeah, I don't know how old I was. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I can't help you. Irrelevant. I was a teenager when this movie came out. I was super excited and then it was poker. It was Texas Hold'em. And like just the word Texas in like this Bond movie, this thing that's supposed to be like set at the casino and supposed to be classy and they're playing Texas Hold'em, that annoys me. I get that Texas Hold'em is, like, the only version of poker that professionals play now, but, like, I hate that name. Anyway, that's an aside. What it's were we a bad talking name about? For, the, for the game. But, you Well, know. It's, it's also, like, I think Ian Fleming, even though he's a snob and among many other things... A sexist, misogynist dinosaur. He is a snob. Mm-hmm. Um, he understood that maybe people weren't going to understand how Baccarat is played and he explained it very well in the book like very clearly maybe I was like 12 13 14 when I read it and I could very much understand it and I think when they made the tv version before the 1967 version came out when he you know sold the rights to the first book they had an explainer before the show that was like here's how Baccarat is played and it's a very simple game. It's basically blackjack, except instead of 21, you're trying to get 9. And anything over 9, that goes backward, right? It's a very simple game. 
And then to do to do poker. I think that's very lame. But they had the scenes, David. Uh, what was that my point? one guy <laughs> explaining the hands all the time? They didn't know, but like if you don't play poker, you wouldn't know that like a full house. First of all, you don't know what a full house is, you know, and they show it. But like, if you have no background, you would not be following the poker of that movie. And then they explain, oh, Bond won or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't, that's not exciting. I have discussed this with David and said it's very analogous to me watching like a sports movie. Like there's all these things that, yeah, you might know the rules to it, but you just watch the movie. Like whether or not you understand the game doesn't matter. My original point was the first 45 minutes are Bond just tracking this guy down before he even gets the assignment to uh, to follow the Shifa and to play him in in uh, poker. It's very strange. It's like the prologue... Strange that it works. Well, it's strange that it works, but it, it's like the prologue to the movie, and in most Bond prologues, it's like, okay, either something before the credits is going to be relevant mm-hmm. to the plot, or it's going to be like a separate Bond adventure. And it's almost like that, except that in this case, they have, uh, you know, a four-minute scene of Bond getting his double O status at the beginning of the movie in black and white. That's the pre-credits scene. But then there's another 45 minutes of Well, let me explain why. Prologue. Okay, so yeah. you start out with him getting 007, and for the people watching the movie at the time, that's just telling you, Daniel Craig is Bond now. He's gotten his double O. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the awesome, you know, title sequence. The next time you see Bond is him doing the parkour scene. And that's giving great you... Great scene. Great scene. And, and all of these scenes, including this one, are just to tell you who Bond is before the story starts. That scene works great so that you get sort of a sense of his, like, I don't want to say athleticism, but like physically... How is he as a well, spy? Like, what does he do? What decisions does no, he No, I make? agree. And I think that a lot of people interpreted that that scene as, like, Bond is brute force over intelligence. And I think that it's not quite that. It's that he is not... Decisive. He's decisive. He's not graceful. Mm-hmm. But he is really intelligent. Like, he... Yeah. Everything in that scene, he does the smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, like, he can't... Catching do... the gun and just whipping it back I mean, at the that's guy. hilarious and awesome. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he can't do the parkour that the guy, the bomb maker that he's but chasing can do. But it doesn't matter. Do. It's but it doesn't matter keeping because... keeping him from catching the guy. Yeah. And at the end of the scene, he, you know... The entire scene is he follows the bomb, the bomb maker. He... Oh, people have seen it. I hope so. <laughs> he chases the bomb maker through a construction site... The bomb maker is doing all this parkour. Bond is just like crashing through walls and like blowing things up and just mm-hmm. being Bond, you know. Or like when the guy shimmies up a scaffolding thing or like some sort of crane, um, which is an awesome looking parkour move. Bond finds the mechanical thing where he can just slam the button down or whatever and he takes yeah. a lift up, yeah. you know. Which again, smarter thing to do. Why are you wasting your energy climbing the crane? And then at the end of the scene, the guy is running away and Bond hitches a ride on a car to follow him uh, to his embassy. embassy. And when Bond realizes that he's not going to actually take this guy and capture him alive, he shoots him and blows up the embassy and escapes. And he gets yelled at by M for doing this and M thinks he's like... A moron. She thinks she basically calls him um, 
she says any thug can kill. She calls him a thug, and she says that he, uh, she basically doesn't think much of him, you know? And that sort of sets the tone for him. So I get that that's what the scene is trying to do. But it's not, and, well, so, okay, so that scene does that. Then you have suave bond, which everybody wants, and you get that in the Bahamas. Like, people are disrespecting him, and he's fucking them over, and they don't even, like, realize, you know... What's happened? The great scene where the people throw him the keys and he just destroys their car. Yeah, he's... Like, and he's... casually walks back in. And then he goes in, he's seducing the woman. Like, you get all of that suaveness. So, yeah, the, the story might not start yet, but you get Bond telling us who he is. And then you finally get the airport and that's the, like... It's action again, but not the same as the parkour bit because it's him having to like figure it out. It's him having to solve the the mystery in order yeah. to figure out how to stop the crime. I just think like it takes up a lot of time, and I think I've never been bored during all that because they're exciting. Yeah, but like it it is like stark when you're actually trying to figure out like what is the plot of this movie. That the plot of this movie doesn't start until after all that. I think when it comes down to it, the plot of this movie is very brief. Yeah. I mean, both well, movies, it barely takes up yeah. much time. I mean, in 1967, there's like 10 minutes where he's actually playing the game. And the same thing in 2006, he's like, it. it's very short. He plays, I think, two nights with uh, the chief, and it's not a big chunk of the movie, you know? No. It's only made longer because they break it up with things like the, you know, the terrorists coming to... Uh, to intimidate the chief and Bond getting poisoned, all that extra yeah. stuff. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I think the movie is is great. I don't know why it works as well as it does. I think part of it is Daniel Craig. I think part of it is the plot, the actual plot of the casino is great. Eva Green is great. I, yeah, and I think it's a great movie. So what happens is he wins eventually after, as Claire said, the Ugandan terrorists attack him and then he gets poisoned and has to defibrillate himself and then Vesper saves him Mm -hmm. and he saves Vesper during another scene and they sort of like, even though they don't like each other, they have, they develop like a mutual appreciation for each other that that I think turns into something else. She gets kidnapped. He goes to rescue her. We have the scariest torture scene of all time. And a great car flip. I mean, you skipped right over that. Oh, yeah, there's a great stunt, you know? Yeah. I've seen the special features on that back when oh, you really? used to watch special uh-huh. features. And, uh, yeah, they actually flipped it. They had, like, really? a... Really? A driver in the car flipped it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, they had a stunt driver. They had a specially built yeah. car with, like, a cage, like, to protect him. Because it just flies up into the air. It's yeah, crazy. it doesn't make sense... That him hitting the brakes would make the car he, do that? That the car just <laughs> yeah. flies? yeah. But yeah, they did like this crazy oh, stunt. Crazy and I think looking. it flipped like 17 times or something Dang. like that. It did yeah, like, it's yeah. crazy. Okay, but I will tell you, David, after the torture scene, the movie loses me. And this is where I think I don't like Eva Green as much as you do because that last part of the movie is so based around her character and understanding her character. Mm-hmm. And maybe it took me a couple watches to really figure out that part. But like, I'm never captivated by the. No end of the movie the same way I am by the rest of it. I understand that. It's like a long introduction before the movie and then a long epilogue after the movie. You know, everything about it, like everything individual, like all the action scenes, all the 
conversations, all the writing, I think, like, just works. And you can kind of, like, get over the fact that it's structured, it's structured in such a strange way. Yeah, except for that it ends on its weakest segment. I don't know, because, like, if you're following... As someone who read the book, like, and the book ends with Bond finding out that Vesper betrayed him, and then, you know, he has the line, like, The bitch is dead. And that's supposed to mean, like, it's over and I've become, like, this cold person. Mm -hmm. And especially in the movie, because that's sort of what his arc is about in the movie, is M is saying he needs to become more detached in a way, but also be smarter about things. I thought she was saying that he is detached, and then, and, but even though she's saying that, like you as the audience realize it's not good to be detached, so you want to see Bond forming these. Relationships. It's kind of a mixed message, yeah. to be honest, and I think that is a weird thing because he's like, "Oh, you want me to be like half monk, half hitman," and you know that's when she goes off on him, and then at the end, he. Uh, he says, oh, like, just because she betrayed me doesn't mean this other guy betrayed me. And she's like... You don't like, trust anyone, Bond. Yeah, she, you don't trust anyone. Then you've learned your lesson, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. She and so I, I do think that's a little bit confusing. But, like, I think emotionally the arc kind of makes sense. Yeah, that whole conversation is confusing for her to say that after she's like, but didn't you realize that she did it for you? It's like, um, you're just, like, fucking with this poor guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> leave yeah. him alone. I think that part is strange. But I think, like, Daniel Craig is so good in that, in those yeah. scenes, you know? He's so cold. Yeah. Yeah. He's so, but, like, hurt, you know? But, yeah. I don't know, I just don't find it thrilling. At the end, which I really feel like now I'm just being negative about it, but because I do like this movie, but those are my thoughts about the ending. Yeah. Is there anything specific you want to get into about uh, Craig's Casino Royale before we compare across both of them? No, I love I love that movie. I think like it's it's so weird because I don't even want to call it flawed, even though I just said I think all these things are like weird and disjointed about it. Like but it's such like a it's, it's like seamless, you know what I mean? And maybe, you know, in a way of like the 1967 movie has so many seams, you know? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Because it's it's... they're both disjointed, but Casino Royale with Craig maintains sort of a tone and a, you know. And you can follow the, the character even. arcs, I think. Yes. Even though. And a story that more or less holds up across all of it whereas the older one also disjointed but literally like directed by different people yeah actors leaving <laughs> like oh yeah i will say that i think both of these movies in, in a way that's interesting because they are based on the first bond book so like the uh quintessential bond story they're both like reactions to the bond movies you know, I think in ways that we talked about, the 1967 yeah. version is responding to, like, hey, how silly is it that, like, Bond's biggest problem is that too many sexy women want to have <laughs> right. sex with him, you know? Mm -hmm. That's his biggest problem. And I think that the Daniel Craig version is definitely, like, it's it's responding to, like, the Bourne movies, I think. It's responding to a couple other, like, the origin movie thing is kind of becoming a a big um, a big thing at the time. It's it's reacting to it's it's acknowledging that like the Pierce Brosnan movies got a little bit silly 
with with die another day and i'd say it's responding to the god die another day i was was just gonna add to your list of what it must be reacting to and i think they knew at this point in the bond franchise introducing a new actor was gonna be a big challenge so they were just really committed to convincing us that this was bond they knew that was their task yeah yeah and they succeeded yeah, I think they succeeded very well in this movie. I think, like, in the later Craig movies, they continued to respond to... I think, like, I think like Skyfall, which I love, but, like, Skyfall, I think, was trying to make their villain a little bit too, like, Joker-esque and, like, try to copy the Dark Knight. And then mm-hmm. I think they adopted that aesthetic for, like, the rest of the movies, and I think it didn't work quite so well. I think Casino Royale, even though... It has its flaws. I think tonally, they kind of nailed it with like what Bond should be. You know, I have I have plenty of problems with the Craig franchise. It's weird that it goes from Bond's first mission, the follow up to that, and then the third movie is Bond's oldest time, yeah. <laughs> and then the next three movies are just Daniel Craig needs to retire. You know, I think that's like very weird, and there's no real. I think they wanted there to be, like, a stronger series arc, and there just wasn't. But I I think this movie, like, on its own, just completely works. So I've got I've got two main questions I want to just get into, briefly. Uh, one of them is an honest question for you, taking it back to the 67 version. But do you think that comedy styles uh, have more to do with... This is deep. ...different genres of comedy... Or generational comedy. Because watching it... I mean, I know I'm watching a movie from the 60s. They're mm-hmm. going to have... I mean, they have like Red Face and other things that would be certainly very offensive. I mean, offensive at the time, but nowadays to the point that people would call the movie out for it, it. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, just knowing that, you're aware that you're watching something from a different generation. So, is the comedy different because it's a movie from the 60s? Or is it just a different genre of comedy? And I think especially for Casino Royale, this question came to my mind because as the movie progresses, it's like you get different types of comedy. You get pure, absurd comedy at the end, you know? Let me ask this in a different and less confusing way. Has the idea of what a parody is changed over time? No, I don't think so. I think that this movie just didn't know exactly what it wanted to be. Because I think that it had an idea that it wanted to parody the silliest aspects of the James Bond franchise. And maybe maybe they thought that James Bond was like emblematic of where movies were going or a certain type of movie was going in that era. I'm not sure about that. That's sort of a historical context thing that I just wasn't alive during, you know? Mm-hmm. There were just several different styles of comedy that this movie wanted to do. And you can trace all of those to, like, things that come out today. I mean, like, even just Austin Powers. But I was thinking, if if Bond became popular in 2005, by 2010, we would have not another spy movie. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, that whole franchise that's just, like, a straight-up... Yeah. I, I don't even know what you call that. Like, a spoof movie. And this movie but was partially... But those are done so differently from... I don't think they 67's are. 67's Casino Royale. Parts, parts of Casino Royale, I think, are that style. And I think are hmm. of that nature. 
And I think you can trace that from like Mel Brooks and Monty Python all the way to the not another teen movie, not another whatever, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, not Scream. What's the parody of that? Is Scream not the parody? I think Scream is kind of a self-aware thing. <laughs> We're not horror movie fans. Scary movie. Scary movie okay. is the parody. But they use the same face, right? Yes, so, yes. Okay. Okay, I guess... I but, guess so. but then parts of it, I think, like, you could trace to Galaxy Quest or something like that. You know, I think Peter Sellers probably wanted to make a movie that was more straightforward. Or even looking at the Roger Moore movies, like, self-aware, silly, fun action movies. I think, yeah. like, all of these things are there. It just didn't decide what it was going to be. So it's not necessarily that parody has changed, but that parody can be different. So I guess in answer to my question, it's not a generational thing. It's a genre of comedy thing. And this movie just happened to jump from genre to genre. I felt like, yes, I felt like this movie was very modern in a lot of ways. Like, I didn't think that... But to your earlier point, every time it felt like Monty Python, it felt very old to me. I I don't know if I agree with that. Really? You thought that that spaceship landing in the middle of London it was just looked the height stupid. of modern comedy? It just looked really stupid because I think that they couldn't really do that. Mm-hmm. And what was funny about like super silly special effects is that they looked stupid at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think like that specific joke of like, we're going to have a UFO that looks like we just built a UFO out of cardboard. Mm-hmm. That's like a joke that doesn't really land anymore because we have really good looking movies and it's like you can't you can't make fun of how this looks anymore. Yeah. But um, like Well, the, depending the, on the, the thing. I can still see that being funny if within the context of a certain film or T V show. Well, I mean like Spaceballs, you know, they kinda of parodied Star Wars. But I don't think they made a specific point to talk about like the way it looked. Like, in terms of, this looks like crap. They talked about design choices, you know? Like, Chewbacca being parodied by John Mm -hmm. Candy as, what is he, a mog? He's half man, half dog? But, okay, so then compare that to the the Family Guy versions, which are much more of a... Okay, of like a skewering of of Star Wars, wouldn't you say? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I guess there's just lots of directions you can take it in. And the direction that Casino Royale 1967 took it in was Every direction. five different directions yeah, with I, seven different bombs. I think that was the problem. I think, yeah. like, I mean, the Family Guy is a great example because I love I love Star Wars. I love the original trilogy. Family Guy made me like Star Wars and more the than Family I did. Guy. I don't even like Family Guy, but the Family Guy Star Wars episodes are actually, like, really fun. Yeah. They say, you know what? We still love it. So the two direct comparisons that you wanted to make were Le Chiffre. Mm-hmm. You wanted to compare actors, so yes. go ahead. So I think Le Chiffre needs to be this intimidating presence across the poker table from Bond. And just how lucky was the 67 film that they got Orson Welles? To the point that literally the person who was playing the Bond who played poker, who played Baccarat, was intimidated by Orson Welles himself. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's just very, you know, that's getting into meta stuff, but just, he is such an intimidating presence. Well, it is meta. I mean, it's impossible not to think of it in meta terms. I think Orson Welles was kind of, 
this was not the era where he was taken as seriously. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe that is a more modern interpretation. I just... I'll say one thing against Orson Welles, and then I'm going to go back to loving him. Okay. Which is, David, I discovered that it was Orson Welles' idea to have Le Chief doing magic tricks at the Bachrock table. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> so, oh my god. When we're talking about the comedy of this movie and just it being all over the place, you finally get to the Casino Royale storyline. They're gonna play this card game. And then all of a sudden Orson Welles is just like, watch me do this magic trick and pull a handkerchief out of my sleeve. It's so fucking stupid. It's like, what am I watching? But it's funny. But really weird. Yeah, it is very strange. And so you get a very weird but intimidating Le Chief in well, I think this it was, version. It was... So, in the 2006 version, Le Chief is not physically intimidating, but he's got a physical uh, deformation. Is that the word? Deformity? Deformity, thank you. Uh, he's got a physical deformity where his eye leaks blood. That is his, uh, his deformity, which is like... Of course, a whole trope, and definitely a trope in the in the Bond movies, but, you know, across media, that probably we should get away from. Yeah, we've all seen Lion King. Yeah, Bond is not, Bond is not at the forefront of getting away from that. Anyway, the Orson Welles version, it's like, oh, his intimidating thing is like, do you want to see me do magic? And it's like, <laughs> so it's to be so silly, you know? And I think that they recognize that, like, oh, this is a trope that is so stupid, you know, that we need to do something about it. So I thought that the magic was funny. Yes. I'm not arguing that the magic was funny, not funny. I am wondering if the 2000... When did Craig's version come out? 2006? 2006, I think. If the 2006 version had been lucky enough to have Orson Welles transported to 2006 playing the sheep. No, I kind of like... Well, what... Well, let me tell you what I think you're going to say. Uh-huh. That Mad's character manages to be intimidating while not being an intimidating person. Like, he can't win a fight. He's not going to stand yes. up for his woman. Yes. You know? But yes. he yes. has the power. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, there's a scene where the Ugandan terrorists come to his room. It just sounds silly. They come to his room and threaten his girlfriend. And they're, they're threatening to chop off her arm. And he doesn't do anything. And then Bond has to save him because the British government wants Le Chief alive. But I think that's what's intimidating about Le Chief is like he's not physically intimidating, but he's untouchable mm-hmm. and he's smug. Mm-hmm. There's there's like one scene where he flips over his cards after like pretending that Bond oh, and he goes, won. Oops. Yeah, he goes, oops. And then he has, like, the most childish grin, like, the most, yeah. like, smaggable face. Like, if a five-year-old did that to you, you would be like, don't be such a sore winner. You know, you mm-hmm. would be mad. But, like, he does it, and he's untouchable. And that's what's scary about him. And Bond doesn't know how to deal with that because he's not political in that sense. Like, mm-hmm. he's yeah. physical, so he's foil for and Bond. he's smart, but... Yeah. Especially Bond at this moment, like, M has already yelled at him for, you know, not handling things in the right way, and this person has to be taken alive, and Bond already got yelled at for killing someone, and then, even then, Bond is like, I'm gonna kill him. Like, that's his plan until he gets stopped by Felix Leiter. Right, sorry, I should have introduced myself, seeing as we're related. Felix Leiter. 
brother from Langley. Right. Oh, Felix Slider. God, we love him. Wow. But, but like, I, yeah, I think, like, he is great at being intimidating and untouchable and smug about that. Mads's. Yeah, and you, you hate that he frustrates you, right? Mm-hmm. He frustrates Bond, and I think he frustrates the viewer, because, like, he can only do something to Bond when Bond is tied to a chair. Yeah. That's the only time he's, like, physically intimidating, and it really comes to nothing, you know? I mean, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. I still think it would be cool to see Orson Welles be maybe any Bond villain, because, I mean, you are arguing for a good foil to to Craig's Bond in this specific movie. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that we only get to see him in a parody, it's similar to David Niven only getting to see him yeah. play Bond in a parody. Of course, you know? yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the only other direct comparison I would want to make is the songs. Ooh, the songs, okay. The 2006 song, again, as a teenager who loved the Bond books and the Bond movies, I wouldn't say I was skeptical of the new movie, but I was, you know, questioning. Of the new Bond, Daniel Craig. Well, not necessarily just him, but just like, oh, we're rebooting it. You know, that had never mm-hmm. really been done. Um, and then hiring, like, this uh, very different sounding artist, I think, to do the song. is Chris Cornell. He is famous from the band Soundgarden, right? Mm-hmm. And a couple. Different. I think he had another band. Yes. Um, also he... some solo work. I mean, my favorite song by him is... Solo. Yeah, and he died a few years ago. Um, yeah, but the song is called "You Know My Name," and it's uh, it's a great song. You know, it's not the kind of music that I would normally listen to. It's not even. There are parts of it that are very Bond, but there are parts of it that are like this is very different. And even the the credit scene, I think, is both very Bond and very different. Like, yes. Way less sexualizing women than usual. Yeah, and you see Daniel Craig, I think. Mm -hmm. You don't see anybody else, basically. You see Eva Green for a moment. Eva Green is like the queen of hearts Mm -hmm. for one second. Yes. But not in a sexual way. Not Yeah, it's just her face. Yeah. Um, Daniel Craig, like you do, you know, you see a lot of him. So it's it's just very different. I I think I grew to love it very quickly, both the song and the title sequence. Great song, yeah. Then the 1967 version, I think, again, I think this was a smart skewering. They also realized that uh, title songs are pretty silly, and they have this very silly title song. Yes, so, oh gosh, I should know the, the credits for this song. Uh, so the song is performed by Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, uh, like the rest of the music it is composed by Burt Bacharach and the lyrics are written by Hal David and it it almost fits the tone and the purpose of this movie better than the movie does yeah it's so funny so I think honestly in terms of a cross comparison both both theme songs nail what they're what they're meant to do but the Casino Royale theme from 1967 I mean some of the lyrics it's just James Bond is here to save the world. <laughs> They're coming at us with guns and knives. Like, the the delivery of the lyrics. I mean, I feel like it's hard to sing in a comedic way. Yeah, isn't know? it like James Bond is going to sing... James Bond is going to save the day at Casino Royale? That's literally yes. the lyrics. It's just it's so funny. It's like, 
Oh my god, it's like a silly song that your dad or someone would make up while going to take you to a movie. Yeah, it's very like half-assed, but <laughs> yeah. I think it is along the same lines as like in The Simpsons when they parodied Bond and they did the uh, the Scorpio and they did their own version of the Bond song. It, it's along those lines, but way more half-assed. Yeah. Intentionally. I think this song is hilarious and does what it's set out to do, you know? Yeah, it's very funny. Um, that being said, if we're going to do which she like better, I got to say, I like You Know My Name. Of the two songs? Yeah, of course. <sighs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. Of course. I think I like comedy music more than you do, so I feel like I'm a little torn here. Like, I can listen to my Bo Burnham and Adam Sandler I songs. like those songs. Yeah. I would say similar to having to decide between the movies. I can say that I I liked Casino Royale nineteen sixty seven and I really like the Casino Royale theme. But if you had to tell me I had to put a song on right now or I had to put a movie on right now, I would have to go with the two thousand six version. You know my name. And you know my name. Yeah. Yeah. Great song. Yeah. Great song. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. You're right. I think that the first three of the Daniel Craig Bond movies had really great songs. Oh yeah, I love the uh, Alicia Keys and uh, Jack, <laughs> is it Jack White? White. Yeah, that's that's a very different Bond theme, especially considering that now everything has just been trying to redo Skyfall. And it's Ugh, been... Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, not that's... to say Skyfall was great, but like Skyfall. we're over it. Like, stop trying to do it again. <laughs> Thank you. Like, yeah. I'm glad somebody said it. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, why don't we why don't we just go into quickly which you, did you like better, and if they ever did Casino Royale again, which they have to at some point, I assume, maybe not in our lifetimes, but they'll do it. What would you do differently? In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and themselves to our judgment. Yes. Um, well, as I said, it's tough for me to decide because I did enjoy the movie for what it was, but Craig's version, like, yeah, I'm probably never going to watch the 1967 version again, but I don't regret having seen it. I enjoyed it. In addition to my long-standing policy of not watching Woody Allen movies, I sort of dreaded watching this movie. Knowing he was associated with not, it at all. Not just for him. In addition to that, I think that... I, I didn't like the idea of it, you mm -hmm. know? I think, like... Because it could have been in, like, bad... Is bad taste the thing you say? When something is, like, insulting rather than appreciative of yeah, its Well, it could have been mean, you know? Yeah, mean. It could have mean been way meaner. And yeah. maybe, you know, maybe we should be meaner about Bond in general. Maybe that's fair. But, like... I don't have any desire to watch that. Like, this is something that I love, and it's something that I think even the franchise criticizes the bad things about itself. Like, every Bond movie is reacting to the books, to commentary, to the previous movies, and to, like, other movies that parody it. Like, I think you couldn't... You wouldn't have the Craig movies without Austin Powers. I think Austin Powers really, like made it clear hmm. what was impossible to continue in Bond. In mm -hmm. the same way that I think, like, Bourne made it clear, you know, these are the directions that you have to go in, right? Yeah. And I think they, you know, the makers of the movies would acknowledge that, right? 
but I, you know, I was sort of like dreading watching it. I thought it would be like very bad and very mean and just not have anything to do with Bond in any sense. And it wasn't as unwatchable as I thought it would be until the last half hour. The best part. I really, I could not stand, because that was the most like, um, Monty Python, Mel Brooks, not another teen movie kind of, kind of thing. And I, I hate that stuff. I hate the just spoof thing, you know? And that was the most spoofy part of the movie. And I, I really didn't like that. But, like, David Niven was a great Bond. Peter Sellers was a great Bond. And then, like, everything else in the movie, like, Good Thighs was great, and you know? And, again, I thought the Money Penny was great. And we don't money get Penny Money was Penny great. in Craig's Casino Royale. We get a great Money Penny later, but... We do, yeah. 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 Best part of... Well, one of the best parts of Skyfall. Skyfall is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. That being said, I did hate it. And (laughs) if I had to choose, I would always watch the 2006 version, which I just bought again on Blu-ray. So now we have two copies of this movie. Lucky us. Yes. We can go watch it in separate rooms. And we have zero (laughs) copies of the 1967 version, which I don't think will ever change. Um, all right, so David, if you were to remake Casino Royale, the question I really want to get into is who would play Bond, because we are at a moment in history where we're about to get a new Bond. Yeah, this is a real question. But before we get into that, is there anything story-wise that you think could be done better than either movies so far? I've got the most scathingly brilliant idea. Yeah, I think let's just discard 67 and take 06 as like, this is the best we've done so far. Just take out the Texas Hold'em and put in Baccarat and you'd be happy? Baccarat. What is Baccarat? Yeah. My Baccarat. apologies that I've been mispronouncing it like this whole time. Uh, no. Well, maybe. Maybe I would put in Baccarat. Yeah. I think it's, a like I said, it's a little dated having the, the sort of terrorism that's nebulous but also focused on blowing up airliners and like oh we talk about terrorism as if it's like this global force rather than different things going on i think that is a kind of a product of its time you know like all terrorism is on the same side and they're all banked by the sheaf right that's kind of a product of, uh, of its time i don't think that would happen today and i don't think it necessarily should happen today i think we should have a a more uh, sophisticated view of violence, right? And terrorism specifically. That's not all headed by one organization? Yeah. I think yeah. that becomes more an issue with the later films, for sure. Well, that there's always a bigger bad guy. I think, well, the later films have a lot of problems. I think their problem is that they, they sort of uh, internalize the idea that, oh, everything that's wrong with, um, with this world comes from within and so it's all like mi6 is the problem and like xmi6 agents are doing this and like this is the sins of your past coming back to haunt you like that's very explicit in skyfall and yes specter Mm -hmm. and no time to die and i think like that's kind of the wrong direction too i think like goldeneye kind of went in the right direction and even Quantum of Solace, which is about 
nothing except him getting revenge for Vesper. But then he uncovers this plot about water rights in Bolivia. That is a more relevant plot, you know, sort of like resources and like foreign intervention. I think that that's kind of a weird one because that also, we're not going to get into it right now, but that also had like a writing history. It was during the writer's strike. They were like filming it and they didn't have a script, right? But I think it's kind of more relevant than Casino Royale. So there's that. But to address the real question, who would play Bond? For the past 10 years, I have been harping on this. I want there to be like a young Bond. You know, Daniel Craig was pretty young at the time, but then two movies later, he's the old Bond. I want there to be like a series of several movies where he's kind of young. You know, maybe late 20s, early 30s. I don't know. I'm not in the spy world. But it seems to me that a lot of these people would be ex-military, like, you know, just got out of special forces mm-hmm. or or were officers in the military. Former SIS types. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, like, that would be, like, a late 20s thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my idea for a long time has been Nicholas Holt, who probably is most famous oh, for... playing the Beast. Playing the Beast in the X-Men prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's sort of, like... I don't know, he's like, you know, kind of thin, but also uh, suave, sophisticated. Yeah, he can definitely pull off suave. I see that. You know, he's got like layers to him. Um, I think like he can look uncomfortable and awkward, which was a big thing in Casino Royale with Daniel Craig looking uncomfortable in his suits, and Vesper notices that. Um, I think he would be a great Bond, especially an early Bond, but now, I mean, I don't know how old he is. He might be like 40 by now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of good options. Obviously, people loved Idris Elba, but he's so he's far so over fucking the hill old. Right now. It's so yeah. insane. Everybody's Nobody's talking about it these days. They people like, have recognized he's too old for the part. Now. I think like even like five years ago, he was so. It's like, what are you gonna have Idris Elba be in one movie as like an old Bond, okay, it been a and great then it's movie, over? Though. It could have been a good movie. People but weren't wrong to say that he. I want to. I want to cast. I want to cast Bond for a decade. And Daniel Craig made movies for over a decade, to his credit. He made a lot of movies. He did. He made five movies in, uh, like, 15 years. That's that's a lot. I've got some names for you. All right. How old is Tom Hardy? Uh, He's got to be too old. He's got to be, like, 40. I just think he would make such a good Bond. I love Tom Hardy. Who's the guy who I always get confused with Tom Hardy, though? Ooh, the guy from um, The Gentleman. The guy, he's um, he's the guy making the stakes the whole time. Alright, I think Tom Hardy would make a great Bond, though. I love Tom Hardy. I think Tom Hardy... Is there a movie that you're thinking of in particular where he's got, like, the suaveness, the coolness of Bond? Maybe Inception. He's kind of, like, aloof. But, like, he's not, like, really cool, you know? Yeah. Charlie Hunnam. I get Charlie Hunnam and Tom Hardy confused. Oh, Charlie Hunnam. But wouldn't Charlie Hunnam be a great Bond? I love Charlie Hunnam. He might Hunnam. have more of the suaveness factor than Tom Hardy does. I love Charlie Hunnam. All right, you got me on that. Yeah? How I old think do you he, think he is? Oh, he's old. He's too old. Let's see. 42? He's 42. Yeah. I mean, look, you could have a 42-year-old Bond, and you could have a 52-year-old Bond, but that's 10 years of making movies. That's three movies, maybe. I, I mean, I think it would be cool. It would be cool to see a three movie arc, mm-hmm. but 
I don't want it to be three movies, then three movies with another guy, then three movies with another guy. I'm kind of over three movie arcs, though. I think I would really like them to all be one-offs. Especially because the three movie arc creates, like, it insists upon there being the bigger evil that you got to discover. Yeah. And you're always well, more into the you're evil You're just talking about the, the Daniel Craig movies. Yeah, they're... I mean, but that the Daniel was, Craig no, movies the are representative problem. of an yeah. issue across, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, too. Mm-hmm. Like, does this make our quota for mentioning Pirates of the Caribbean in every podcast? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pirates. All right, I also think that now is the time for the Harry Potter actors... To reveal that they are more than their Harry Potter actors. I mean, we have the Pat, Robert Pattinson. He was great. Right? He was great. I think there is a world where he could be a good Bond, but he wouldn't be my first choice. Daniel Radcliffe, also not my first choice. I feel like one name that I've seen a lot is, is um, Superman. Henry Cavill? Henry Cavill. He'd be great. He's definitely too old. He's got to be too old. I literally have and him pulled also, up on my computer because I think he'd be such a good Bond. But. I don't... Oh, did you? I didn't yeah. even realize that. But he's Superman. He's the Witcher. Like He's everything. we got to give the guy a break. <laughs> well, we got to give him a break. I also think like he's too bulky to be Bond. I think like Daniel Craig was pretty bulky in Casino Royale, but it's kind of like a joke that he's like... He's too bulky. You know, and he doesn't Daniel use his Craig, brain enough. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Do you want to hear my Harry Potter hot take? What? Can Tom Felton act? Because if he Probably can, not. he's got a good look for Bond. Yeah, I could see that. I haven't seen him as anything but Draco, though, and I'm not a fan of the Harry Potter movies. You can't, so. you can't base this off something that the last one came out over ten years ago. So he's probably a better actor now. Or worse. <laughs> I think he's still acting. I think he had he was in some show. God, he'd make a great Bond. He's got the look. Anyhow, my last hot take okay. is just that David and I just watched a very silly TV show, a comedy TV show called Starstruck, but I had the thought multiple times while watching it that the love interest, whose name is Nikesh Patel, would make a pretty good bond. Yeah, he's very handsome and very, like, charming. Yes. He's, he's very skinny in the wazoo. show. But he could bulk up. But he could I, bulk Anybody yeah, can bulk up. you can up. always yeah. get a little bit bulkier to play Bond. But if you're someone like Henry Cavill, you probably can't. Not that there needs to be a James Bond figure, because, you know, everybody was mad about Daniel Craig well, being blonde. And well, no, that's fine. stupid. But I think, like, you should be believably able to win a fight, yeah, right? Yeah, a super spy, yeah. And I think, like, the Casino Royale does that so well. And, like, when Vesper fights, it's like, she's not believably able to win a fight. And she doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Bond has to bail her out multiple times. Hot take, well, okay. hot question. Do you think Bond could be a woman? Yeah. Well, well this is sort of asked, but not addressed in oh, No yeah. Time to Die. Yeah. And also hyped up, I think, just for marketing purposes. Yeah. I'm not just any old double O. I'm double O seven. I don't think Bond needs to be a woman. You know, I don't think we need to prove something by making Bond be a woman. But I think you can make a good Bond movie with... Jane Bond, actually. Again, remember how I told you that people who first had the rights to Casino Royale thought that Bond was stupid? Their solution to that was they were going to make her a woman. Which, I don't see how that's a solution. But they were going to ha- make a movie about Jane Bond. Mm-hmm. Why? What do you think? Well, I, I think, you know, I've had this conversation many times over the course of my life slash James Bond fandom, which are more or less synonymous. Mm-hmm. 
I think like having read the Fleming novels and watched all the movies, I think like misogyny or like paternalism, maybe that's a better word, mm-hmm. are inherent to his character. They are, yeah. And I don't know how you would do a Bond without that. Like I, I think those are the things that make him interesting. Mm-hmm. Like he's likable for other reasons. He's likable because he's charming, right? But then he's got all these flaws about like the way he views the world and the way he doesn't question the way certain things are done. You know, when Ian Fleming wrote that, that was a positive thing. Uh-huh. Imperialism, colonialism, misogyny, straight up racism, which the movies don't get into as much. But if they did now, it would be anti-racist. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like he's still misogynistic and I think... Was Daniel Craig's Bond? Would you call him misogynistic? I mean, he does use... I mean, talking just about Casino Royale, he uses that one man's wife, and then you see her... God, her corpse is so disturbing. Maybe this is me having read the book. uh, The way he says, the bitch is dead. I think you could interpret that both ways, but the way I interpret that is like, I let myself be fooled by a woman... And, you know, in the 1967 version, it's kind of a similar thing. See, I always detect just dishonesty there. That he's just trying to be his perception of himself, but you know he's breaking inside. He is. No, that's absolutely true. Like, he's, like, on the verge of, of a breakdown, right? But, like, I think that the way he deals with that is by saying to himself, like, this woman lied to me, you know? Mm. And like, I can't let myself be fooled by a woman, you know? So, all in all, you're saying you don't think a woman could play James Bond? I don't know what you would do to make him interesting. I think, like, you would have to do something different to make him interesting and flawed. And then it would be like, well, why is this even Bond? Right. You know what I mean? Because you can make it, like, ego, or you can make it, like, any other sort of... Sure, I, I feel like... I mean, hubris at the end is always the flaw for protagonists like Bond. I don't know if you could make her both interesting and recognizably Bond. I hear what you're saying, but I feel like, especially now that we've had decades of Bond movies, we know the many ways that Bond can be interpreted, and the essential Bond things that you can just leave out of a movie, and it's still a Bond movie. Alright, so who do you see... Like, so, cast an actress as Bond? Yeah, like, if, if we're doing this. A- any age, let's say, like, let's not restrict ourselves to, like, right now. Well, we are restricting ourselves to British actors. Not necessarily. I mean, we have Brits playing Batman all the time. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can think of anyone off the top of my head. Can you? Well, do you think Eva Green could be Bond? Because I feel like they are... Say, say like, Eva Green from 15 years ago, because I feel like they're such perfect foils for each other. I might like her better as Bond than as a Bond girl, now that you've put it in my head. You think so? Because, you know, I've never been... She would have to bulk up a little bit. She's never been my favorite Bond girl, but yeah, well, she might funny. be my favorite Bond. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking someone like her where she's both detached, but you can tell... I mean, it's a, it's a theme of the movie where it's like a facade, you know, mm-hmm. that they're both putting on this facade, and I think he can't see through hers, and 
he yeah. kind of lets his guard down to, to get to know her a little bit. But having someone that's able to put up that facade, but also know that there's like more depth there. Mm-hmm. She does a good job of that. Do you have another name? None off the top of my head. I am hindered by the fact that I'm more familiar with comedic British actors, but making the jump from comedy to action drama tends to work out for folks. So, What about... Uh, yeah, don't people say that it's harder to do comedy than drama? Oh, comedians say that. No, we're getting very far. <laughs> far afield from what we were talking about. I don't know. Is there <laughs> anyone else that you can come up with, or should we wrap this up? Uh, I'd say let's wrap this up, and if I think of someone really great, I'll splice her name in later. So, Casino Royale, it's all just a a spy romp centered around winning a game of poker. Apparently, it can be made in two entirely different ways. Mm -hmm. But overall, the story's good, and the interpretations are fun, and one of them serves as a fantastic introduction to a new Bond actor. Yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, one of these is one of my favorite movies, and one of them is a movie that I hope to never watch again. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Are you